Glands Podcast, where we bring you information, entertainment, and conversation about your public lands and waterways. My name is Mark Peddleti, and I will be your host today. And I'm joined by three guest reporters bringing us short pieces from Minnesota's parks. These short reports are harbingers of even more good things to come, as additional guest reporters will be completing full-length news stories in coming weeks on matters impacting our public lands. First, in this week's news, President Donald Trump unveiled his new budget plan on Monday. A brief rundown on a few of the ways that it would affect public lands. The Trump proposal would take $2.5 to $3 billion from the Environmental Protection Agency's annual operating budget. Depending on how one measures it, that's a 23 to 30% cut from the agency's charge with protecting the nation's air, water, soil, and per its name, our environment as a whole. The rationale for doing so, um, according to a Trump administration press release, is to, quote, unnecessary, um, remove unnecessary reporting burdens on the regulated community. Perhaps the tagline for Allison Katie's commentary in Fortune magazine expresses it best when saying that Trump's infrastructure plan is, quote, a win for developers and a loss for virtually everyone else. Some EPA programs would be hit particularly hard. The arm of the EPA that oversees corporate compliance, for example. They'd have its budget slashed by 40%. The 2019 budget would also use energy sales on public lands to help fund infrastructure projects. And in that same interest would give Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke sole power to approve construction of oil and gas pipelines through the national parks. That's currently up to Congress to decide. Meanwhile, there will be far fewer natural park, national park rangers to protect the parks through which these new pipelines would flow, as the budget seeks to eliminate 2,000 national park ranger positions. Among the many programs and funds that would be eliminated or receive $0 for their operating budgets are the National Wildlife Refuge Fund, the Great Lakes Chesapeake Bay and Puget Sound cleanup programs, and Energy Star, which informs consumers which home appliances are most energy efficient. According to The Atlantic, the Superfund, which is EPA's program that cleans up toxic chemical spill sites that become public health hazards, will have its budget cut by 25%. Such a cut will halt many cleanups. In addition to The Atlantic, information for this report was drawn from The Washington Post, Fortune Magazine, and The Hill. Now we'll turn to guest reports about public lands here in Minnesota, where the podcast is based, part of a series of presentations on special topics and places right here in the state. We'll start with a clip from Alyssa Olson's discovery walk around William O'Brien State Park. Alyssa has dug into a bit of the history of the park, which gives us a nice case study in how a public land becomes public. As I hike along some of the 12 miles of winter accessible trails, let's take a brief look at the history behind this state land. First recorded use of the land was by the Dakota and Ojibwe tribes, where they would use the valley as a source of food and timber. In the 1600s, when European trappers disrupted the land, fur trapping became the largest industry in the region. That lasted for about 50 years before sawmills started to flourish up and down the St. Croix River. By the mid-1800s, nearly all of the white pine in the valley was cleared, and the land was sold to private owners, such as William O'Brien. 
1947, William O'Brien's daughter donated 180 acres of land to be developed into a state park as a memoriam for her late father. Over the years, other private owners began to donate land to help make up the over 2,000 acres of state-protected land that exists there today. Thanks, Alyssa. Now, Lindsay Dark will cover a few of the sustainability efforts at the Arboretum and takes us on a short sound walk around the grounds. As with all of the guest reports I've excerpted here, these are small clips from much longer discovery reports on a very wide range of park features. My first stop was the Oswald Visitor Center. This building houses an art gallery, cafe, gift shop, observatory, and the Anderson Horticultural Library. The 45,000 square foot building is heated and cooled with geothermal energy, which is a free, highly efficient, and renewable resource. It has also been outfitted with other energy and environmental standards, including energy efficient windows and doors. The building was also constructed with recycled timbers where possible. The Arboretum stewardship practices in the visitor center extend to eliminating the sale of plastic water bottles and providing organic, cage-free, free-range, and fair-trade food products in their cafe. The cafe being an extension of university dining services, they also participate in their organic compost program. Once I had sufficiently poked around the Oswald Visitor Center, I headed outside to explore the grounds. I spent the greater part of two hours circling the area. Although all the trees and plants were bare and snow covered the ground, looking across the rolling prairie and hearing the wind in the pines was a magical experience for me. The Arboretum is committed to providing a safe haven for Minnesota plants and animals that are threatened by urban development, so this is top of mind when cultivating their plants for display. Pests and invasive plants are managed using biological control, the process of mitigating pest populations with their natural enemies. As I explored everything the Arboretum had to offer, I paused frequently to be mindful of the sounds that surrounded me. The snow crunching under my boots. The wind whisking through the trees. The subtle splashes when walking through puddles. And the drip, drip, drip of snowmelt in a drain. It was a grounding experience. Thank you, Lindsay. And finally, Hannah Mangin takes us back to the Minnesota Valley National Wildlife Refuge. To this point, I have been clipping out special segments from guest reports related to special features, specific features, in each park or wilderness area. However, to get a sense of what a complete discovery report sounds like, I will present Hannah's introduction to the MVNWR in its entirety. I'm the real I grew up on a farm in southern Minnesota. As a kid, I half-heartedly raised sheep for 4-H and fell asleep every night to the murmurs of crickets and the occasional owl's song. When I moved to Minneapolis for university, I regularly sensed a fundamental dichotomy between urban and rural. That is, until I had the chance to visit the Minnesota Valley Wildlife Refuge. The refuge's Bloomington Visitor Center overlooks the stunning Minnesota River Valley and contains exhibits describing the plant and animal communities for whom it advocates. There, I had the pleasure of meeting Jim, a longtime volunteer. 
He told me that he often meets people in the city who have no idea that they're a 10-minute drive from a 14,000-acre wildlife refuge, stretching 72 miles along the Minnesota River. It's an incredible place, a place where coyotes, bald eagles, and trout thrive a half-mile from the airport in MOA. One of only 14 regional priority urban wildlife refuges in the United States, the Minnesota Valley Wildlife Refuge is part of a network of refuges that connects the 80% of Americans living in cities to wild places. This is significant for a number of reasons. People get a chance to see more than urban fauna like pigeons and squirrels. They can briefly escape the pavement and skyscrapers to relish in rippling streams and tranquil meadows. And it's accessible for those without resources to travel to a flagship national park like Yosemite or Yellowstone. It's kind of like redistributing the wealth of beauty and respite our wild places have to offer. The refuge not only serves to spread the wealth to us, but it also works to maintain the health and vitality of the plant and animal communities in its borders. Like most refuges across the country, there are always environmental threats and challenges to tackle, like stormwaters or invasive species. Being an urban refuge comes with its own challenges as well. The airport runway makes a great deal of noise, for example, and encroachment of residential land is a constant negotiation. In order to mitigate some of these unsavory elements, the refuge restores habitats through biological control, prescribed burning, water control structures, and invasive plant removal, to name a few of its approaches. The health of this region is of the utmost importance for many reasons. For one, the Minnesota Valley Wildlife Refuge lies in the heart of the Mississippi Flyway, a bird migration route that generally follows the Mississippi River and is used by approximately 40% of our nation's waterfowl. More than 200 migratory birds nest and rest in this refuge, including bald eagles often reposing in trees along the Minnesota River. Visitors to the refuge can rent free binoculars and birdwatching books to engage with the wild's winged inhabitants and hear the clear, plaintive cry of the eastern meadowlark, the bubbling, erratic song of the bobolink, or the rolling trill of the red-bellied woodpecker. Edward Abbey once said, Beyond the wall of the unreal city, there is another world waiting for you. It is the old true world of the deserts, the mountains, the forests, the islands, the shores, the open plains. Go there. Be there. Walk gently and quietly deep within it. The Minnesota Valley Wildlife Refuge gives us a rare opportunity to bridge the rift between our urban, unreal cities and the world beyond, which simply is. Be sure to take advantage of access to wild places like this, because as the refuge advertises, they're wild, they're close, they're yours. Big shout out to guest reporters Alyssa Olson, Lindsay Dark, and Hannah Mangin for this week's special reports. Next week we'll start a series of longer, issue-oriented audio reports, in-depth news stories from public lands around the Twin Cities metro area, and always we will start with a national or global news story or two related to our public lands. Until next week, I hope you have a chance to get out and enjoy a public land or park near you. (laughs) 